Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, welcome back. I'm Carl Mack and this is Combat Chronicles. A fair bit to talk about today. We'll start with MMA. UFC 273 from Jacksonville, home of AEW, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and some pretty moronic fans. We're going to get rid of the main event straight away because there's not really much to talk about, uh, other than the fact of Volkanovski supremacy is very much alive and well. That's not something I'm particularly surprised about. I think there's sort of no surprise given that Volk called out the Korean Zombie, um, stopped him in the fourth, really good stoppage from Herb Dean on the feet. Masterclass uh, leading up to it. I've seen some people online seem to think that this is the difference between them uh, ranking Volkanovski outside of the top pound for pound spot and now moving him up. Um, I'm glad um, that uh, the actual current pound for pound number one is being elevated in some people's eyes that they've caught up to others. Um, I'm not really sure how much weight I really put on a dominant legendary champion, and I do believe that Volk is a legendary champion. We're seeing greatness in, uh, in his own time. Um, I do believe so, but a, f- a fight like that taking on a uh, a fight a clear disparity in most levels of the game, um, sort of styling on him, and uh, you know we've seen it a million times before. So for me personally, I don't really see that as the difference maker. I'm not particularly surprised. I thought this going in, I actually thought Volk would get rid of the Korean Zombie earlier. I think people were surprised because I think it might be some. It might be unfair to say, but my assumption is. Some folks might not realise how devastating Volkanovski is because he fights some of the most ludicrously durable opposition around. Um, I mean, he stopped um, Mendez. Aldo is famously a defensive freak and uh, pretty hard to kill unless you can put a sustained beating on him or catch him with a complete worldie. Um, and Holloway and Ortega are just sponges, essentially. Just absorb anything and then keep coming or, or, or keep taking it. Korean Zombie is not that um, somewhat perhaps overranked. Um, one of my favourite fighters of all time, so I don't want to think I'm getting down on him, but um, he's become somewhat more cerebral in recent years, and that wasn't going to help him against Volkanovski. It didn't really help him against Aldo. I always thought that you know he should have went ham on these guys because that was probably the only advantage he had. Um, he was going to get taken out eventually. He might as well have unloaded and just just blown his wad, but um, didn't do that here. Got picked apart. Proper masterclass by Volkanovski. Um, 
and I think at the beginning of the fourth round, he basically said to you know Korean Zombie, "Do you want to take any more? You know, are you sure you want this?" And the Korean Zombie, because that's who he is, obliged, and um, Volk stopped him with a one-two that I think Alexis Arguello would have been proud of, and Herb Dean seen enough by that point and and said that a rare, a rare uh, MMA uh, finish on the feet, but yeah, not really much to go into. Um, again, I'm happy that some people have caught up on how great Volkanovski is. It's um. You know, sometimes it's a showcase fight that makes people sit up and take notice, that's fine. But contextualising this win uh, doesn't do a huge amount for his legacy, although it is another win over a top 10 ranked fight, which I always like to see. Um, Korean Zombie's definitely seen better days, even given his win over Dan Ige. Um, we, we've seen against Ortega that, you know, he's nowhere near the top three. So a gimme fight, which Volkanovski pretty much deserved, given the fact he's faced a murderous row of £145 uh, contenders former champions etc uh, and yeah quite frankly um, I'm glad that he got to style on someone but uh, of the top three fights um, two of which I'm going to discuss in more detail this was probably the least significant in my opinion um, even though it did feature uh, not just the best pound for pound fight in the world right now but one of the greatest champions of all time in my opinion already um, if anyone thinks that's hyperbole hit me up on Twitter, Combat CHR, the O in Combat is a zero, so C zero Mbat CHR. If you got any problems, come and see me. Volk is life. Uh, I tell you, else is life. It's uh, comes at Jemayev, who come through his test with Gilbert Burns. In my opinion, with pass with flying colours. I've seen some people online thinking that that isn't the case. Um, I mean, I don't really know what what you want. The guy hasn't really fought anyone. Leech is the only guy who's somewhat prominent. Um, and he stepped it up all the way up to the sort of top three. And yes, it's been a tough fight. That's what happens when you fight someone in the top three. That's what happens when you haven't fought anyone inside the top ten before. That's what happens when you're still relatively young in your career and you're not very experienced. And that's what happens when you fight someone as deadly as, as Gilbert Burns. So I know people think, uh, given the size disparity and the fact that has been wasting people on the way in, that they thought he was going to wreck uh, Burns with little hassle. Um certainly had his moments Chimaev as well as Burns Chimaev showed he can take a dig he showed he can go three rounds showed he can battle back from adversity he showed he can keep his head in the game these are all things that I find are really positive let's go into the fight uh, things that I really like from Chimaev in, in, the, in the first round uh, I didn't really like the, the naked low kicks uh, and that's the first time he took a big shot when Burns just fired a right down the pipe you know stop kicking me have a, have a, have a punch in the face um, what I like from both guys actually is aggressive counter punching getting the head off centre line and, and getting the shots off um, as the guy comes in uh, but in terms of pure defence um, Chimaev likes to sort of chick, chuck his hands up around his uh, temple area and, and stand back in a straight line which you know not really conducive to uh a uh, long career or, or sustained success. So I'd like to see him shore that up. Um, one thing I liked, which Joe Rogan mentioned about how sort of comfortable he is as a switch hitter, I've watched all of Chimaev's um, uh, you know, recorded bouts that you, you, you can find footage of and don't really recall him being prominent as a switch hitter. But he certainly looked so in this fight. Um, he dropped Burns with a stiff uh, right, right hand jab when he switched to southpaw, hoping this isn't... Uh, you know, indicative of Burns always going to be getting by dropped from jabs in the future. I like Burns, and uh, uh, yeah, but that's uh, two guys that have dropped him with jabs now. Uh, two pretty good guys. Let's, let's not be stupid. Um, 
what was funny actually starting off on the fight was um, I think Jack Slack this week spoke about how everyone starts off by winging a, a right hand that you might have, which he comes under and takes him down immediately. Uh, and in this one, Burns backed up, didn't give him the right hand, so Chimaev shot a takedown off his own right hand instead, which uh, was somewhat successful. Um, the grappling sections of this bout were not prolonged. Uh, Burns is clearly really strong. He's you know been competing against much bigger guys in BJJ for, for years. Um, Chimaev is not stupid. He didn't want really want to play that. Uh, I think I think basically I think he was happy to play on the ground with Burns, and as soon as sort of Burns got to butterfly, I think Chimaev must have thought well, this guy's a little bit stronger than I anticipated. Um, as played out in the second round when he got booted off, um, like a uh, little kid picking on an older brother or something, just got booted off uh, of Burns. But um, it's the second round that is actually the most interesting. Uh, in the first round, as I said, Chimaev did eventually uh, back up Burns, dropped him with a jab and uh, dropped some really heavy elbows on him to split his cranium open. Uh, but in the second round, Burns started firing back and did some really interesting things. Um, first and foremost, the check hook. Again, Burns slipping outside and getting that check hook off and, and walking uh, Chimaev in the shots. Uh, three twos, which um, for someone who was, as I said earlier, doesn't really move his head off centre line unless he's trying to sort of aggressively counter punch. Uh, caught Chimaev uh, unawares. Managed to back him up a bit more consistently. And Burns has basically worked his way back into the fight uh, and eventually clobbered uh, Chimaev with a big right hand that that dropped him and, and stunned him, in my opinion. But like what Chimaev did, he did try and shoot for the takedown. Yes, it was panic wrestling, but it showed his head was still in the game. Um, but yeah, Burns really did work his way back into the fight. It was a good second round. They, they both had their moments, um, but it was really good to see Burns come back from the adversity of the first round where he'd been dropped and stunned and had his head busted open. And then Chimaev done exactly the same in the third round. Um, and I think that second round's important, A, because it was a really exciting fight, uh, made the fight really, um, the, the swings and the ebb and flow, but also because we got to see really see what comes at Chimaev is, is made of. And in that third round, we really did see what he's made of, in my opinion. He adjusted, he calmed down, he kept it long, he did not let Burns fire on him with impunity, he managed to keep the jab on him, keep the kicks on him, and that uppercut, which he was winging, the right uppercut, which is, you know, one of his famous knockouts, but this right uppercut is quite patented, really, a bit of a signature sort of style, the way he whips that right uppercut in, um, it wasn't really working for him in the second round, because he was just throwing it with no setup. Um, I think he started marring his work a bit much, uh, in that third round, we saw him actually, uh, set it up again and, and he whacked Burns on it on the exit and uh, Burns you can see he felt it and after that it wasn't quite the same um, what I really liked was Chimaev's pressure fighting and working inside uh, especially like in sort of clinch range when he had Burns up against the fence really mixed in uh, body shots knees um, really did like his committal to the body um, Burns probably could have shown a bit more of a committal to the body himself but Chimaev sort of pitching that right hand over the top means uh, that might be a little less uh, of a decent tactic because he's got such a quick release on that. And quite frankly, that's one of the things that really does impress me about Chimaev is that even as you can see the, the sort of cogs going in terms of trying to figure his way into the fight technically, he's just got this sort of insane athleticism to fall back on. 
and uh, the right hand he throws. I mean, he's not Tommy Owens, but he's so long and it's so such a quick release. It's sort of what he reminded me of last night. It was like he's got a little bit of Tommy Owens about him. This guy at one seventy, do you know what I mean? He's he's tall, he's long, he, he really fast hands, throws big bombs, long shots. Um, what he needs is a bit more footwork, a little bit more craft, and a little bit more proactive head movement. Uh, he's proactively moving his head in order to get his shots off. Loves doing that to hurt people, but he needs to think of himself a little bit more and preserve himself uh, because you have too many of those uh, second rounds. And, uh, you know, you, especially considering apparently this guy trains really, really hard and, you know, gets in the wars and that. And I think he's just a bit of a crazy dude. And I really don't want to see this guy uh, take years off his prime by, if you know, he might want to train hard, but in fights certain things you can do to mitigate that and uh, you know if you have too many of these fights like he did against Burns the prime's going to be a short one so what have we learnt Burns is still feisty as fuck really love to see him fight Colby Covington that'd be a pretty sweet uh, fight for top three fighters or top four now uh, top top four fighters coming off losses um, they're talking about Chimaya versus Covington just make Chimaya versus Usman for god's sake so what do we know about that fight um, Usman definitely got the capacity to take Chimaev's head off with a right hand um, I think Chimaev's clearly got a stout beard and I don't just mean the facial hair I mean I think the guy's tough as fuck um, even when that um, the overhand right clobbered him in the second round you could see he was still with it he knew what was going on he's got a good chin for sure we know he could pace himself over three but certainly not over five wasn't able to comprehensively out grapple Burns so stands to reason he might not be able to do that against Usman um, who's known as a very strong wrestler cage and clinch battle will be particularly interesting I think but Chimaev's for real um, I saw someone online someone I really like and respect but I can't remember who it was uh, they said um, that Chimaev answered all the questions and yet they're now more unsure about him as a prospect um, for me I don't necessarily agree with that um, I think he did answer all the questions and, 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 and more so than we expected him to I think some of the questions going in you know, could he take a shot how is he old up over three rounds? What can he? What does he do when he can't just comprehensively outgrapple someone? Um, you know, we might be talking about you know, in some sort of pound for pound sense, how would he do against X fighter or what have you? But against a uh, aging champion with notoriously bad knees, who's looked progressively bad as his title defense has gone on, I don't necessarily think a tough fight with Gilbert Burns is going to uh, make me rethink Chimaev's chances at winning the 170 pound title. Um, so yeah, just make Chimaya versus Usman for fuck's sake. Um, as a fight, interestingly, I just rewatched um, the fight in preparation for the podcast. It was a good fight. At one point, uh, Swanson versus Choi was mentioned. Um, it wasn't a great fight by any means. It was a good fight with some really good moments and one really good round. Um, but I think that was because of the tension at the time. You know, the tension of basically how good is Chimaev. A lot of us have sort of state our reputations on him being really, really good. And some people really state their reputation on him being a hype job. And it's that sort of elevation. That sort of elevates the fight. That heightened uh, sort of emotional feeling you've got watching it unfold. Whoa, fuck me. I can't believe he just took that. Or, oh my God, Burns has twatted him. Or, fuck me, Chimaev has dropped him with a jab, busted his head open. This stuff's really exciting in, in the moment uh, and remains so now. But taken out of the, uh, the sort of the heat of the moment, uh, a good fight, not a great one. Uh, but that's not really that important because that's not what that fight was about. This that fight was about answering uh, questions, and I don't see anyone could fail to be 
really massively impressed by Chimaev, a guy who has come in, probably faced less opposition in the UFC than he did uh, beforehand. Uh, he's faced some, you know, with all due respect to the fighters who would kick my asses, the sort of British and Euro bums. And uh, and then the leech, who's decent, but, you know, no great shakes, let's be honest. Um, not bad, but not great. And apparently, given the presser last week, um, he's probably more of a fan of Chimaev than, uh, than, than I am. But uh, Burns was a massive step up. This isn't normal. Even John Jones had a sort of really good progression through, you know, Bono, Matt Yashenko, Matt Hamill, whoever you want to say, you know, Ryan Bader, fellow prospect fight, and then jumped into a title fight on late notice. You know, didn't want, he had a really good progression. Chimaev has basically gone, fuck you, these guys are well below me, you have to give me someone really high up. They could have said, no, you can have Neil Magny first, but it didn't. So we need to respect that, we need to applaud it. Ballsy matchmaking, ballsy fighters, a pair of them, I mean, Burns only had, you know, his reputation to lose here. And somehow, losing to a guy who was uh, ranked well below him and well, well uh, inexperienced compared to him also comes out looking like gold. So, yeah, great result all round. Really good fight. And if you're listening to this podcast without having already watched the fight, what are you doing? Turn me off. Go and watch the fight. My opinion is not important. The fight is. So go and check it out and uh, let me know your thoughts later. Ian Gary and Mackenzie Dern and all that sort of stuff. Couldn't give a fuck. Um, nearly talk about Julio Arce, but not quite. Alexi Olenek, no. wonder what else I could think to talk about. Mark Madsen versus Vince Pichel? No. Also, Madsen, the post-fight interview, just shut the fuck up, mate. You're boring. Shut up. Um, really fucking boring. You didn't even get didn't even get a pop from a bunch of rabid Floridians when you said you was moving to the States. That's how fucking boring you are, mate. Um well you did beat Vince Pichel, who if I remember online is a complete fucking idiot when it comes to well, basically anything. He had a pretty smart Don Fry mustache though, and I remember him from Tough, so um yeah, still like him, even though he's a bit of a twat. Um uh, what else could we talk about? Oh yeah, there was that Fucking Bantamweight, wasn't there? Peter Yan, I thought he was good. Piotr Yan, Peter Yan, Piotr Yan this, Piotr Yan that. Best fucking fighter of all time. That was my words. Um, unbeatable, essentially. Yan. Going to show Sterling what for, that's for sure. After that, pussy took a fake knee. Well, took a real knee, but took a fucking fake dive after that one last time. Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it for the past year. Yan this, Yan that. I thought he was the most skilled fighter I've ever seen. To be honest with you, I still think he's fucking phenomenal. What we didn't give any credit for was Al Jermaine Sterling, who managed to basically do everything right in this fight. Force Peter Yan to come forward. I'm going to keep calling him Peter Yan. I know it's Piotr Yan. It's Fyodor Emelianenko as well. It's not even that. That's even some bastardised romanisation, but called him Fedor. Funny enough, Joe Rogan said they're all shouting P.E.R., P.E.R. in the crowd when it should be Piotr. Even Joe Rogan realises, you know, how fucking stupid people are when they can't even say his name. Okay, it's Piotr, yeah. Uh, for me, one of the most just downright talented fighters I've ever seen. One of the most ridiculously skilled mixed martial artists I've ever seen. Actually, he might be the most skilled mixed martial artist I've ever seen. That doesn't really change given this fight. Some of his decision making, now that's the problem. Sort of in the last fight, sort of a little bit in this one. 
But what I really want to touch on is Aljamain Sterling's decision-making because he did some really, really, really smart things. He won the fight based on winning the rounds. He did not stay in Peter Yan's wheelhouse. He forced Peter Yan to come forward and therefore negated some of his strengths. Uh, he did not allow him to engage in the hand fight too often, which often is how he sets up his strikes. And by staying on the sort of perimeter, he stayed out the whole Yan trip game and and managed to basically keep the fight in his favour until later on. But it's that first round that seems contentious. I might fact, I'm going to stop the podcast and watch it again because I haven't re-watched this fight since it happened. So when I come back, I'll be you know, fresh and uh, be able to sort of streamline my opinion somewhat. But before I do stop and, and re-watch... Um, I'll tell you now, I had the fight 48-46 to 46 for Sterling. 1-2-3 uh, and three with the second round being a 10-8. 4-5 to Piotr Jan. But I need to re-watch that first round because that's the swing round. It's a swing round between the fight being a draw or a win for uh, Sterling, in my opinion. 2-3 um, and three are obviously his. Second round is obviously a 10-8. It all swings on that first round. It's not a right or robbery contender, although I did consider it. I was just going to go, do you know what? Let's just rewatch the fight and rescore it in live time. But um, just that first round. Just that first round. I think I think the other rounds are pretty clear to score. So I'm going to go and rewatch that first round and I'll come back and see whether I think it was a draw or whether I think Sterling deservedly won. But then we're going to go into why, uh, regardless of the result, Sterling deserves a lot of credit. Okay, I'm back and that was clearly... And Aljamain Sterling round uh, landed the the harder kicks throughout, and Yam did a lot of following, a lot of chasing. Um, didn't really get much off, and right at the end, Sterling land what sounded like quite a slapping overhand right uh, counter. Um, there's some really nice things in Sterling's approach here that I want to touch on. Things that he did to counteract what Piotr Yan's so good at. Um, when Yam was able to close the distance in the first round, um, Sterling would would slip underneath the uh, the shot on the exit. On, on the break, and then get back out, pivot out, and then reset range, causing the whole process to start again. Jan's got to track him down, he's got to try and get a shot off. Sterling comes underneath, slips back out. Very rarely did Jan manage to get any kicks off um, as Sterling uh, exited the pocket, and generally, uh, Sterling initiating with the kicks. He's janky, he looks awful. There was a moment really late in the round, which I remembered actually, where they were on the inside and uh, sort of Sterling threw off a kind of combo of punches that wouldn't look out of place in a woman's 145 fight, let's be honest. Um, but he's janky and it? it was effective enough to get him through a round. He didn't take much damage. And for me, he landed more impactful shots in terms of, you know, they were clean, they were loud. No one got hurt in that round. No one, uh, you know, Jan only would have to land one really, really stiff jab that pushed Sterling back on his heels. And I maybe could have said that was the best thing that happened in the round. But for me personally, um, he only really landed maybe one hard jab in the round and a couple of you know, kicks, and Sterling landed more, and then landed a big right as the bell, as the well, as the horn went uh, to end the first round. So for me, yeah, the Sterling's round, Sterling one, two, and three, and then a ten eight in the second, and let's unpack what happened in that second round. So what I liked about the first round was that um, kind of similar to what I said about the. Burns Chimaya fight wasn't interesting at the time. 
Was it interesting at the time? It's only interesting. Um, as a matter of fact, well, that was more interesting at the time, and now that's subsequently less interesting. The first round of Sterling Yan, for me, I was really concerned because my thought going in was, oh, well, Sterling's going to run around on the perimeter, do very fucking little, and try and just kind of bluff his way through the fight and not get hurt and see it as some sort of moral victory. I thought he was genuinely intimidated. And actually what he did was he used that as a means to an end in terms of, I'll do that when I can't do what I want to do. And when I can do what I want to do, I'll be myself. And basically bluff his way through the times where he didn't feel comfortable because, you know, clear to see that he's got nothing for Yan on the feet in terms of just sort of sheer breath of technical brilliance. Uh, and the fact that Yan just would land concussive strikes that would be uh, conducive to winning rounds. And also, you know, as we know, uh, when they were too close, Yan was tripping him and just basically dominated um, the fight at that range. So, um Sterling essentially adapted his game plan. We know that he's quite janky um, striking anyways at range. is kind of what he does. Um, he's kind of, you know, it's kind of like a smaller, faster, sort of John Jones type um, at range. And his bread and butter is when he gets someone down. Um, so, and he did get Yan down, caught a kick, got him down, mounted him almost immediately, got his back and uh, Shinyaoki'd him for, for much of the second round. Um and dominated. People are saying, like, you know, he put him in fight-finishing situations. Look, what I think I want to say, as much as I'm praising Aljamain Sterling's performance, Piotr Yan's not a hype job. Fought grips. Uh, he constantly had good good defensive reactions to Sterling's different uh, setups for the for the RNC. Didn't really even get him put in any sort of crank positions, let alone um, let Sterling get anywhere close to actually... Uh, again, the arm underneath the chin. So, good defence from Pyotian. Um What's really impressive for me, and I think people sort of acting like he's been exposed. Yeah, uh, Sterling is deadly on your back. And Yan survived two rounds with him on his back, really. Um, or two decent sessions with him on his back. So, for me, it shows, goes to show, you know, these fights, they're going to be tight now. When they inevitably fight again. Sterling's got some sort of counter-attack to Yan on the feet. And uh, although Yan, hasn't, at one point we saw him try to peel away the legs, and obviously when that happens, you then potentially get up the choke, and then he, he decided he didn't, didn't want to go for that. So he hasn't really got much option for when Sterling takes his back and gets the body triangle on. So basically we're going to see uh, rounds go sort of one way, one way, or another way. So we had the sort of Sterling being annoying, Sterling being grapply, or Yan finding himself as he did in the fourth and fifth round. So I think if you have another fight, it's going to be another tight one again. Um, but yeah, what I really like was Sterling's approach. You know, he won rounds. His approach was to win rounds and to get out of bad spots when he was not able to do the things he wanted to do. And people would say, oh, well, Piotr Yan, he likes to get his reads early. It was a slow start. That's absolutely true. But you could see the frustration as he was trying to track Sterling down in the first round. And now he kept constantly having to reset because Sterling would go all the way to his right and go all the way to his left. And then Yan was trying to switch it up with stance changes. And even then, he wasn't really able to track him down. And Sterling was um, seeing me getting off first. I don't care what you say about sort of, you know, downloading all the data and spitting it back out into a winning performance. You can't give up one round. You can if you're going to win the next four. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't. Going into the third round, essentially, the fight was nearly already lost. He needed to win all three rounds by a decent margin. Um, and that didn't happen. So, 
for me personally, don't really see any uh, sort of cries of robbery. Um, I can see an argument for Yan winning, just about, or rather a draw, you know, really. I've seen see some people online saying that, you know, 1, 4 and 5 for Yan. Well, given the scoring criteria, there's little, little leeway at all for not scoring that second round at 10-8. So if you do have a 1, 4 and 5, you'd only have it a, a draw, um, a draw at best. Um so first of all, I just want to praise Sterling, um, showing that he can come back. We, we, the first couple of rounds of their first fight, he wasn't getting tanked. And then he started getting tanked. And I think people thought, oh, okay, well, this is just going to be, you know, rounds five, six, seven, whatever. Um, this is going to be a, we're just going to carry on from that fight. We've seen Yan do his technical, brilliant stuff against uh, Corey. And, and he's just going to beat the shit out of Sterling for having the affront to... Uh, play up a little bit when he got an illegal knee to the head and moan about it for a year. Um, it's not how it went. There's two high-level fighters. You not watch Aljamain Sterling's career? He's a really good fighter. And a worthy champion, even though he's not really what we like to see in a champion in terms of he did really sort of bluff his way through this fight. He won rounds. He won rounds. He didn't finish strongly. That sort of thing, you know. These are qualities we like to see in a champion. A champion that's actually trying to finish a fight and a, and a, and a champion that, that finishes well. Um, but, you know, it's a five-round fight and it's based on how many round, rounds you win. And in my opinion, he won three rounds and therefore he won 48-46. Well, you don't really get much better than that, do you? It's really fucking good considering who he's going up against. In, uh, up against. And when we go to the end of the year awards, it will certainly be up there high, I imagine, in terms of best wins. Unless they have a rematch between them and Yan. Tanks him, uh, given what I said earlier about this being clear a well-matched uh, series, um, which I'm really happy to see, and I'm happy to see why because the narrative of the fight is one thing, but the narrative of the whole division played out in this fight, and that's what's perhaps most fascinating to me. Um, this I wanted Piotr Jan to win. He's one of my favourite fighters. I think he's an absolutely phenomenal fighter in terms of, as I said earlier, just the weapons he possesses and, and, how, and how he distributes them uh, across his opponent's faces and bodies, essentially. And I think uh, the way he blends all the different facets of mixed martial arts is fascinating. Uh, we often talk about sort of new breed fighters and all this sort of stuff. I think most of it's hokey, uh, or hokum, rather. But um, I really do think Jan has got a sort of uh, supernatural gift for uh, so many different things. It, it's, it's quite breathtaking to see, but it's MMA. None of these fighters are unbeatable. And what gave me cause of concern, actually, it was actually a little bit sad, was this is a golden age of the 135-pound division. Not just in the uh, UFC, but outside of it, as I've spoken about before. Uh, in Bellator, uh, even in one, we got some really quality fighters. Um, in Ryzen, we got some really good fighters. This really is just an incredible era for the division and for any division. We've got just quality fighters all over the fucking place, and we could make any number of incredible fights. And yet there was this Russian guy at the top of it who probably would have shit-tanked absolutely everyone, which makes it somewhat hollow as a great division. You need competition. Even if you've got a great champion, you need to think that some, some of these guys could challenge him. And given you know one of his best challenges, Al Jermaine Sterling was getting the shit kicked out of him, I tended to think, actually, no, I don't think this division is all that great because... It's a great, it's a it's a quality division full of overmatched fighters, essentially, especially given everyone was fawning over uh, Sandhagen and, and Jan, and I found that Piotr Jan clearly won that fight. It was a very fun fight and a good run out for both of them in terms of showing off their weapons. But 
it was competitive and not greatly so. So, you know, if, if Sanhagen fought that well and he still couldn't even win more than, like, you know, two rounds at best, I don't think he even won that, in my opinion. So Sterling, you know, what was he going to do? Basically, get rid of him. This is the rematch we need to see. Get rid of him, then we can move on and see what happens. Jose Aldo, we've seen fight so brilliantly subsequent to the Yan fight, you know, and, and gave such a great effort. Got the got his head punched in. Ad infinitum, it seemed. He's gone on to take out other contenders, and you think, well, Aldo's taken out all the interesting contenders. When he gets back up to Yan, so he's going to get his ass kicked again. TJ Dillashaw, was that kind of all we were hoping for? A guy who arguably didn't even beat Sanhagen in his last fight. So, you know, he's coming off, you know, all sorts of dodgy injuries. He's old and he's, he is old, honestly, for, for Bantamweight. He is old. I know he still looks about 27. He's not. He's older and older, I think. Uh, I think he's about 36, 37, which is crazy. Um, if I'm wrong, again, hit me up on Twitter. But all of that's now redundant because Sterling just beat... Yan, and now the division's completely wide open. The greatest division, arguably, in the history of MMA, the deepest division of contenders worldwide who could potentially beat anyone on any given night. It's actually true. Anyone could potentially beat anyone on any given night. It isn't just the case for everyone from 2 down to 30. It's now the case for everyone because we know Aljo's not unbeatable, and we now know with a smart approach you can win a couple rounds off Piotr Yan. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that just absolutely fantastic? For Piotr Yan, he now can do what Sterling did. He can watch that first fight. Uh, Sterling watched the first fight. Yan can now watch the second fight and, in my opinion, can game plan better and probably turn the trick on Sterling in the third fight. I do I do believe that's going to be the case. But, um, yeah, again, I wouldn't take much credit away from him. Like, you know, he still won two rounds against the now current champion and did well in those two rounds um, and didn't get blown out of the water in the rounds he lost, even though, you know, he lost long stretches of them. We've seen people panic when Sterling takes it back. We've seen Sanhagen got absolutely brutalised inside of, what, a minute? Sterling got him down, took his back, got him, done. See ya. So, and that's another top quality fighter. So we know we've got points of comparison, points of reference for both of these guys, comparing them to their peers, their contemporaries, and they're just really fucking good fighters. So let's see another one. Not straight away, maybe. Um, I'd like to see... Jose Aldo get that fight against Sterling personally. I think he deserves it. Um, for Yan, he could fight Dillashaw or, you know, whoever, basically. He could fight, basically, as I said, anyone in the top 10 because it is that fucking deep. Um, anyone in the in the top 10 of the UFC, of course, because I do actually think there is a top 10 fighter outside the UFC in uh, in Sergio Perez. Mirab, he could fight Mirab. That'd be a great fight for uh, for Piotr See the See who the next contender's going to be. And now, there's some actual tension going to Yan's fights. It's not just a display of sheer brilliance. It's, you know, this guy could feasibly lose a fight. Which, you know, uh, even going back to the, the Magomedov days, you know, in ACB, as it was then. I think it was ACB rather than ACA back then. Um, you know, that was the last sort of time he looked relatively human. You know, I think people would point to, you know, the John Dodson fight or the Rivera fight. But, you know, yeah, there are moments, but there was no, never really any doubt that he was going to win them fights. As, the, as, as you watch them play out, I mean, you know, Jan... Was you know, you could see what he was doing? He was downloading the data and he was spitting it back out and he was putting forth winning performances, regardless of the shaky moments he might have had or the sort of. But in this one, 
he really did genuinely lose. So we need a, we need a rubber match, and I do think it is a rubber match for sure. Jan shit the bed in the first one. He uh, Sterling didn't shit the bed in, in in this one. He turned up and put forth an excellent performance. One thing I'm seeing is that oh, but this was the worst Jan and Sterling barely beating. Oh come on, guys! You need to see what Sterling did in this fight, how he took Jan out of his comfort zone, um, and how he mitigated the the strengths that Jan has got. And I think Sterling did a really, really good job of that. And I think Jan did a really good job to overcome those bad early rounds. And and uh, later on, he was on top, and he was doing really impressive things. So, you know, you know, technically, I think the most interesting thing is to talk about Sterling's approach because you know Jan was doing Jan in those later rounds. Uh, but yeah, I think um, Aljamain Sterling is a very worthy champion, and uh, Piotr Jan is a very worthy challenger. Next up, so let's see it. That's all we've got for the MMA portion of this show. We're going to have a small break and then we're going to talk about a fighter who uh, was once a worthy champion and is no longer a worthy contender. Just after this. Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. When I say he's no longer a contender, I mean Gennady Golovkin is no longer a contender to Canelo Alvarez because that's the fight that's happening next, by all accounts. But he's still a champion. Uh, add another bout to his uh, trophy cabinet with a win over Ryota Murata, who I actually really like and really rate. Um, and now Golovkin has WBA and IBF and is surely one of the 20 greatest middleweights to have ever lived. Um, I was talking to this fight about uh, Tamuki Alexander from Bloody Elbow earlier on in the week. Um, He sort of asked me what my thoughts were. And I thought, wow, you know, we're really going to see Golovkin be old, I think, in this fight. And I think Murata's got a decent chance. He can put it on him. Uh, Murata's sort of boxer-puncher type, but likes to come forward for a lot of punches. Um, Some refinement. You think you'd have more being an Olympic gold medalist, but he hasn't really. Um, Pretty straight up and down. But I thought, you know, Golovkin's probably going to look old. And then I didn't realise that Murata himself is like 36. Um, and of course, you know, the Olympic gold medal was 10 years ago this year. It's crazy. But London 2012 really was uh, that long ago. And uh, yeah, you know, he's he's, he's not young himself. Um, he hasn't fought for nearly three years. There's this thing called the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, which you might have heard of, which seemed to get in the way. And uh, they're very strict about Japan. This fight itself was uh, had been rescheduled anyway um this is at the legendary Saitama super arena yes pride never die and uh they put on a really really good scrap that i really really enjoyed but the um what you got to take from the fight is there's a few things uh Murata was actually able to get off relatively easily uh in the early going not in the really early going that's when golovkin had his jab going real ramrod jab and i thought oh yeah golovkin he is uh Blowing my expectations out of the water, and he's going to make easy work of this. Uh, and then Murata started uh, framing off using his lead hand, and Golovkin didn't really seem to get around that. And then Murata started putting combinations together, and was able to push Golovkin back relatively easily, and that was really concerning. And suddenly Golovkin didn't look 35 going on 40. He looked he looked very every 
every day if he's 40 years old, essentially, and I started to get a bit concerned. After about five rounds, Golovkin found his way back into the fight. He sort of got a second wind um, and then really did put a hurt on Murata in patented fashion. It's not really much to talk about from a technical standpoint outside of the fact that after a really early start, it was so easy to push Golovkin off his spot. Um, well known for being a pretty strong guy. Um, but a couple of fights now, uh, this one and the one with uh, Derevyanchenko, where Golovkin doesn't respond so well uh, under duress. Um, sure, he's still never been down, but he doesn't take body shots too well. Um, he's got that sort of way of leaning forward, his elbows tucked in, and uh, you can get round them elbows and, and dig into his body quite well. Uh, and doesn't respond too well to it. And now in the Murata fight, I actually saw him taking shots to the head and pushing him quite far back. Um, he's always been a guy, Golovkin, who likes to sort of reset range quite far away and then work his way back in. Um, you know, we know he can roll with shots, but he likes to sort of take the shot, bounce all the way back, and then come back in. But it was happening uh, fairly regularly against Murata to the point where I thought he just doesn't appear to be the same physical force he once was. Um, Murata took a beating late, um, got stopped on his feet, um, wiped, well, I didn't actually got stopped on his on the floor, but stopped with a towel getting thrown in, but he was out on his feet, what I meant to say. Uh, Golovkin uh, sort of just done him, and he, he was a man in a dream in, in mid-air, essentially, but um, I think the fight should have been stopped maybe 30 seconds before that. Uh, Murata was on the ropes, shipping uh, all sorts of shots. Golovkin, that, I mean, the left hook's still there for him. It's a lovely shot. The way he whips it round the, the guard, uh, and down is you know is, is still breathtaking, but he looks old. Um, physically, he looks great, but you know in terms of output, he looks old, and has done for a couple of fights now, in my opinion. Um, and all we've been building up to is this fight with Canelo, which I think is going to be at 168, which might liberate him somewhat from the weight cut at, at his age, uh, down to 160. I think. If I remember correctly, Golovkin comes in over 180 for his fights usually, so um, yeah, he's. he's he could do with not having to cut the extra eight pounds, but in terms of what we've seen from him for his last couple of fights, you know, and this has all been building to this for a Canelo fight. These these incident these titles are incidental essentially. Um, the fight with Murat is very good for his middleweight resume, and I was really looking forward to the fight. Say so the shine taken off a little bit by me by the years catching up with me. If any if anyway if anything, like fucking hell, Murat is thirty six now. God, I am old. Remember it was like yesterday when he won the gold medal. What a fire! Um, Real, real quality. Um, just a, a, a note on Murata. You might look at his record and be like, "What the fuck? This guy's already lost twice, and and who to?" Uh, but the first Hassan and Damjanjikhan fight was a, was an abject robbery, and and he, and he uh, very clearly uh, made amends in that uh, in the rematch. Uh, the fight with Rob Brand, the first one, amazing performance from Rob Brand, really unexpected. Um, I think maybe Murata took him lightly or whatnot, or it was just a really, really good performance. Watch watch those two fights because you'll see. Um, what's really good about Murata is he adjusts and he comes out and he comes out more focused and he takes lessons from the previous bouts as he did in both those rematches. So if he loses, he comes back stronger. I don't think he will from this one. And as I say, didn't realise he was this old. Didn't realise he hadn't fought for three years. Near, well, two and a half years, essentially, would have been um, yeah, later this later this year, December. You know, He fights in December in Japan. You usually get big fights late December in Japan in MMA and in boxing. Um, so for me, you know, hope we got a decent payday out of this because he really did get his head punched in by the end, and it was quite horrible to see. But yeah, this is all leading to one big thing for for, for most boxing fans anyway, and that's the the rematch, 
the third fight, it's not a rubber match because we've had a draw and a, and a, and a loss for Golovkin so far. Arguably should have been a, a win and a loss. Um, some people think it should have been two wins. I, I, don't, I don't agree. I think uh, Golovkin edged the first fight and I thought Canelo won the second fight. Two fantastic bouts. The second one, one of the best of the modern era in my opinion. I can't see this third one being a great one. Really can't. Given Murata just basically gave Canelo even more of a blueprint. The old man don't like it to the, to the bread basket and uh, Canelo's just got better and better. Um, or, you know, he's just, just as strong as he ever was and I don't think Golovkin was. So, consider me, honestly, it's going to sound like I'm being reactionary or just being a twat or just being a curmudgeon, but I'm not at all excited for the third fight. I'm really not. I'm sure some boxing fans will be. I'm sure some boxing fans will be thinking that Glovkin's got a better chance than I do. I don't. I actually think that Canelo's going to be the first person to stop Glovkin. You know, kill the body and the head will die and that sort of thing. And um, I think that's going to be really, really sad. I, I would love it if Golovkin said, you know what, I've made enough money in my career. I've just beaten a guy ranked in the top 10. I've got a couple of bouts. That's enough. Don't need to go and fight another weight class. I'm an all-time great at middleweight. I don't think he's one of the top 10 of all time. I'm sure some people will sort of point to his sheer number of title defences. But for me, most of them are hollow. Uh, not many of them are against particularly inspiring fighters. But all in all, given his longevity and given those two fights with Canelo, where he showed that you know he was basically tit-for-tat with one of the best pound-for-pound fighters of the era, um, it's enough for me to chew on. It's enough meat to chew on. And, um, and this really, um, I was anticipating this bout. And Golovkin, even though he had a couple of ropey rounds, and he did look ropey, he looked, he looked rough and haggard. Um, the fact he adjusted, come back, did his thing, and stopped Morata, I think is uh, is an impressive feat indeed. I'm seeing some people online say, but you know, Morata ain't all that. I like I like Morata, and I have done so. Perhaps I'm uh, biased. I'm not saying I like him like I like him as a fighter. I mean, like, I like what he does. So I rate him as a win, and I rate him as a fighter. But yes, there is the caveat that he's been. Somewhat inactive and and was and not that not a spring chicken himself, shall we say? Um, so yeah, not an amazing win by all means, but a good one. And I'd love to see Golovkin go out on that. But we know what he's like. He's hard as nails, and he's almost certainly going to fight Canelo again. Uh, allegedly, uh, 168 pounds, from what I understand. So, well, we'll see how excited I get when it comes to it. If you listen to last week's podcast, you'll know how I was not at all uh, excited for Rod Tang versus DJ and. As they were making their way to the cage, I suddenly felt a flutter of excitement in this uh, dead old heart of mine. Will I feel the same for Golovkin Canelo? I don't think I will. I think uh, at this point it's it's, it's virgin on malpractice to make this bout, which might sound really ridiculous. I'm sorry, guys, but I really think that's the case. Uh, no analysis at all for Ericsson Lubin versus Sebastian Fandora, but I really suggest you go and check that one out. Uh, next week going to probably just cover the uh, AJ McKee Pitbull rematch probably be quite a short podcast as I delve more and more into the fucking black hole that is Elden Ring so forgive me for next week if it's not quite as big but we have got over on the Patreon the writer robberies coming this week Carlos Condit versus Robbie Lawler so be sure to check that out and for other such cool things maybe I'll drop something else on there as well because you guys deserve it if you're thinking, I don't deserve it, I'm not even a patron, what are you doing? Get on over to www.patreon.com slash combatchronicles and support the podcast. And if not, give this podcast a five-star rating and a review on your preferred 
podcast platform because that will make it more uh, visible to others. I'm sure you would have heard this already on the shameless plug Patreon sting that I put partway through the episode. Thanks again for listening as always. If you want to find me, I'm Kyle Mack over at Combat Chronicles on Twitter. That's Combat CHR. The Combat's got a zero. Again, if you're paying attention, you would know that already. But all you lovely listeners are the type of folks that pay attention, aren't you? That's why you're here. See you next week. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.